and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're going to be previewing the 2021 She Believes Cup, not the 2020 She Believes Cup. Uh, it starts Thursday with Brazil-Argentina in the afternoon, followed by USA-Canada at 7 p.m. Here to do, I'm going to be honest, most slash all of the heavy lifting when it comes to previewing this is Meredith Cash of Business Insider. Meredith, thanks so much for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking time away from covering every single sport simultaneously. Is that about your schedule right now? Yeah, just all at once. Just throw them all at me and I'll just try and juggle and not fall down. <laughs> that's that's sort of the uh, the game plan here. So we've got tennis. We've got uh, WNBA free agency. I think you uh, mentioned before we started recording. But we're going to talk She Believes, uh, which is a slightly strange She Believes Cup given some teams were in, then they had to leave, some teams added. So for people who've missed it who are just catching up, what sort of was the story with this tournament and uh, the teams competing? Yeah, so... Um, it was a stacked, stacked, uh, group of teams competing, uh, from the jump and, you know, obviously the U S hosts, and then you've got Brazil, you've got Canada, and then Japan was supposed to round out that list. But, um, given the pandemic and all of the complications there shortly, I guess a few weeks out, but close enough to, to make, uh, the Federation sweat a little bit, Japan backed out, um, with, I think, some semblance of warning, but, you know, it, a team dropping out is still is still um, kind of nerve-wracking for, for any hosts. But, um, yeah, Japan uh, jumped out, and to, to the Federation's credit, they were, they were pretty quick to get Argentina to replace them. And what is the latest in terms of the Olympics to go along with this? Because in my mind, she believes it's always sort of a good way to see where everybody's at, to see what's kind of working as a sort of warm-up, tune-up sort of thing for the Olympics. Uh, there was reporting that they weren't going to be happening. The IOC and the Japanese government came out and said they're definitely happening. So it, it seems like full speed ahead, but I wanted to make sure that that was the case. Yeah, as far as I know and as far as the athletes know, from my understanding, they're still on. Everyone's still preparing as if they're on. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what the limitations are in terms of fans, in terms of whether or not athletes are vaccinated, what their accommodations are like, whether or not they have to quarantine before they're competing. But as of now, all, all signs suggest that the games are still on in an official capacity. So we, we think games will still be on for the Olympics, uh, which means she believes Cup is full steam ahead. We do have uh, several players not participating. Uh, we're going to break this preview into sort of the, the U.S. side and then the teams are going to be competing against. But for the United States specifically, who won't be there because of COVID restrictions? And then who are some maybe, well, we can get to that one later. But first, yeah, who are the names that won't be there due to COVID restrictions? Due to COVID restrictions. Or do, we, um, do we have pretty much everybody in there? Or are there anybody missing out? Because uh, I know I know France was was not inclined to release some of their players. Yes, yes. So, um, so Alana Cook was stopped by PSG from mm-hmm. – she was called up to camp, but the, her club did not allow her to come. Basically, even though this is within the FIFA window where um, national teams are entitled to call in their players um, – Clubs, because of COVID, are allowed to step in and and intervene um, if their quarantine period is like in their country is longer than seven days, I believe is the rule. Um, And so for France, or maybe it's more than five days, but in France, their quarantine is seven days long. 
So PSG didn't allow a bunch of players and, and uh, to go to She Believes. And for the U.S., Alana Cook is the, is the big name who will not be there. And then, um, and then I was slightly confused then with Katarina Macario being allowed to go. Was that just more flexibility from her club or, or is it maybe just because she's so new there, they were more willing to let her go? Yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the reason was. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I haven't followed closely with uh, Leon's schedule. I imagine that the difference there is that PSG wants Alana there for a game within yeah. that team period and for, um, you know, for their own purposes. And I think with Leon um, letting Macario go, probably doesn't interfere with their own needs, depending on their schedule. That that's my best guess, but I'm not exactly sure. I haven't I haven't talked to anyone there to get the, the inside scoop. Wait, covering covering like nineteen sports at once, you haven't also looked into the individual schedules of various French clubs to figure out who they're playing and when? That's not also a thing you're doing? There's there's a time difference. <laughs> trouble getting in touch with the powers that be, but you know we're we just keep missing each other. That's all. <laughs> uh, so who else won't be there? For who are some of the more familiar names that might be missing uh, for whatever reason? Be they injury or just uh, not quite in the plans at time of recording? That seems to change pretty regularly. But who are the players who who won't be there? Yeah, so we've got a few injuries to uh, to players who are. You, like use, usually starters for the national team, for the U.S. women's national team. Um, Tobin Heath injured herself while playing with Manchester United, and so she didn't come to camp. Um, and Sam Mewis injured herself against Columbia um, in that second game earlier this year with the U.S. women's national team and hasn't played since. And I think people were hopeful that she would be uh, – she would be on the mend and, and able to play for She Believes. Obviously, Man City fans were hopeful that she'd be she'd be ready before then. Um, they had a derby that they, they wanted her at, but um, yeah, I I think she's got she's got an ankle injury that's proving uh, more troublesome than anyone was hoping, and yeah, that's that's keeping her out. So uh, I believe you pronounce her name Jalen Howell, mm-hmm. but I'm not positive. Um, she is stepping up and she's now on the active roster in Sam's place. So that's one Man City player who will not be there. One Man City player, theoretically, who will be there is uh, Rose Lavelle. She will definitely be there. I say more theoretically when it comes to the Man City player aspect of things. She got 25 minutes against West Ham. Then I think three officially against Arsenal, four against Man United in that derby. What do you think is going on there? I know, again, I'm not asking you, like, what are the inner workings and like what's going on in the locker room? But more so, what have you seen or do you have any possible guesses as to why she maybe isn't uh, fitting into what Gareth Taylor wants to do at Man City? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not really sure other than the fact that they they don't know how to effectively use her. Obviously, she's she's proven herself as one of the world's top players and and can fit into um, schemes on the national team level. Um, to me, it's surprising that she hasn't gotten more playing time in Manchester City. I don't, I don't exactly, or with Manchester City, and I don't exactly understand why they haven't tried her out more. Um, but I do think it's hard to criticize when, when their current strategy is, is working pretty well for them. And I am certainly not a football manager, so I'm not sure how much I can weigh in before, uh, 
I get myself into trouble, but I definitely <laughs> think I definitely think that it's it's something that raises eyebrows when one of you know one of the most lethal attackers in the women's game is seeing time for her national team but but can't get on the field with her club. Do you have do you have thoughts on what the like what her areas of deficiency might be? Because Rose Lavelle to me is one of the best players in the world. Uh, there are a couple maybe nominees for that category, most of them coming from the U.S. But like, I guess that must mean then that there are things that she maybe struggles with or isn't as, I, I don't know, adept at handling. I don't know if that's maybe like a like if the team isn't as technical, maybe it's the physicality, maybe it's just the rate of play. I'm not really sure, but I'm wondering if you have thoughts on areas that she could develop that would make her maybe a more favorable option for Gareth Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I my gut tells me that it's more about her fitting into his vision and his mm-hmm. scheme for the team rather than playing her own game. Um, not that I think that she's a stubborn player by any means, but that's something that takes time. Um, I, to your point, I don't think Rose Lavelle has many deficiencies, but I do think that lots of the Americans who are either overseas now or went overseas earlier in their careers, they always come back and they, they say something along the lines of, oh, my, my technicality just improved vastly like the the way they play the game technically speaking over there is just so different and I feel like I took so much out of that so I could see you know Rose Lavelle is fast and she's shifty I think that's her that's how I would characterize her game at least from what I've seen in the NWSL and with the national team and so maybe in practice you know training she hasn't showcased technicality in that way. And that's something that she's picking up with Man City. And maybe that's what Gareth Taylor is looking for. But again, that's that's mostly speculation on my end. Who, do you, in your opinion, has benefited the most from moving to England? Because we've had uh, a number of Americans do that some more recently than others. But in, like I think like Abby Dahlkemper, Alex Morgan, Sam U.S. the aforementioned, Kristen Press, maybe T- Tobin Heath probably not so much given the injury. But of, of those few names I mentioned, who do you think is enjoying life in England the most? Yeah, well, if you asked me before Sam's injury, I'd say Sam. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I whenever I write about Sam, either in reference to... Man City or the U.S. Women's National Team, there are City fans in my mentions just saying, please don't let her go. Please don't let her go back to NWSL. We love her. She's brought our team to another level. They adore her, which is, you know, going back to the Lavelle conversation, like poses more more questions for me because she's found so much success over there. But um, yeah, I think she's brought her game to another level. I'm trying to think of who it was who said, I think it was Megan Rapino during a, a U.S. Women's National yeah. team availability. She said, you know, Sam right now is our best player on the U.S. Women's National team, which, you know, that's a striking thing to say. Yeah. But I think she's, she was already one of the most dominant people in the, or players in the center of the field in the entire world. And now she's raising her game to a whole nother level. I think being in the WSL and with Man City has helped her do that. And that's, that's pretty striking. So I'd say Sam. Um, and I would, you know, again, before Tobin's injury, injury, she, she looked pretty good for men, for men United. So her too. I mean, I, I don't think she, 
you know, she's a tried and true player. I don't think she has anything to prove at this point, but she seemed like she was having a good time over there. So no uh, Tobin Heath, no Sam U.S., unfortunately, for the U.S. Uh, in this iteration of the She Believes. We also have questions around Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino with their long layoffs. Alex Morgan coming back from a COVID diagnosis obviously is is back training and healthy, but there's still that kind of potential lingering issue. What would you say are the biggest question marks heading into this competition? Is it anything we've already talked about or anything else entirely? Biggest question marks? You know, I think... I think it's been a long time since obviously the U S came and played the Netherlands um, at the tail end of last year, but it's been a long time since the U S has been really tested given everything going on uh, in the world. And there have been layoffs and, you know, both sides in that match. Um, when was it? Was it November? Which one? When they played the Netherlands. Yeah, I think that was back in November. Uh, it's all like time is kind of a blur and a flat circle and all those things for me. Yeah. So you could you could say any month pretty much. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. It was that month. November, March. December, January, March. Why not? I've been I've been calling every month since March 2020, March 2020. Plus <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, whenever it was when they played the Netherlands, you know, they were without. Um, I always butcher how you say her last name, which is embarrassing, but. Medema, Medema. Uh, Medema, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always get in my own head. I mean, uh, see, I do the same thing, and so maybe big grain of salt there, because decent chance that I'm just the one who was like, oh, it's totally this, and then I horribly mispronounced it as well. Either way, I know who you're talking about. I trust you. You're you're the uh, you're the <laughs> Um But yeah, you know, both sides were without big stars. I don't think it was a true representation of what we'll see going forward in big competitions. Um, and, you know, the landscape of the U.S. Women's National Team roster has changed since then, too. But I guess I guess the biggest question here is how they'll respond to having multiple high-profile yeah. games in a short, expansive time. Um, in my mind, I think, I think Vlatko is going to be pretty experimental again with the rosters. You know, what, in the two games against Columbia, he had one like tried and true. These are the starters who we all know and love. And then the next game, it was like, Whoa, bunch of newbies like out on the field. Like, and you know, he obviously you're hard pressed to see the U S women's national team, not find success, but they found success both ways. Um, and I'm excited to see like what he throws at us this time, because there's a, you know, the opposition, is a is a mix, you know, mix of levels, mix of uh, what you're going to need from your roster as a result. That does seem to be we get that question a lot about what are the kind of big differences between Vlatko and Jill Ellis. Uh, I want to ask you about that, like in a moment. But first, I want to ask you about his philosophy in general, because it does seem to be pretty experimental, uh, which it's a strange thing to say about like playing Crystal Dunn in a more natural position is somehow experimental, but yeah, playing her up top, that feels like a different thing than we've seen. It seems like he is kind of enjoying that variety of trying different things. Do you think he does have sort of nailed on certainties right now of who will start and where, or is it all a bit up in the air? We'll keep figuring it out and we don't need to know for sure until the Olympics. Uh, you know, I think he's probably got an idea in his mind. I think I think it would be silly to say, oh, it's all amorphous and 
you know, whichever way the wind blows, he'll pick for the Olympics. Like he's, you know, I'm sure he has his, his spots, particularly on the defensive end. I think he's, you know, the U S has a notoriously strong back line. And I think there's no reason to mess with that if it's working and, and no one's getting past them. So, um, yeah, I think, I think on that front, he's probably got a pretty good idea of, of who will start and who, who will get into the rotation. Um, but you know, in the attacking third of the field, for sure, you've got an embarrassment of riches and then in the field, same thing. I mean, everyone's incredible. There's, you know, there, I'm sure you guys have heard this, you've said it, but oftentimes U S women's national team players describe their like bench players as, the second best team in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, this is a problem, a nice problem to have first of all, and a problem that Jill Ellis had as well, but he's, he's got an embarrassment of riches. So he's got plenty of room to tinker with things and probably not mess it up too bad because he has so many incredible players to work with. Yeah, to some extent with that in mind, like, I wonder if Jill Ellis would have enjoyed some of these problems of like, no Sam Mewis? Okay. Like, I don't have to, like, figure out how to balance a midfield that could feature Mewis and Rose Lavelle and Lindsey Horan and Julie Ertz. So, like, then, but then he still has the talent coming through in Katarina Macario and Christy Mewis. So I don't, I'm not really, uh, I have a lot of sympathy for Vlatko for having to figure these things out. But simultaneously, to your point, he's got a lot of options. Are there players that you would, really like to see like if you were constructing your ideal starting 11 based on maybe what we've seen from Vladko what you think he'll do combined with what you would like him to do uh what would be who would be some of the names that are in there oh gosh well <laughs> I, I I could get myself into trouble here but I think first of all Katarina Macario has a long future ahead of her so I could try and show some restraint and, and patience, but I don't want to. <laughs> so no, um, she's so fun to watch. She, y- you can feel the energy level shift when she's on the field. And like for a player as young as she is, as new to the national team as she is, like she exudes so much confidence on the ball and just, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know that there's another player like her on the field. Um, so I'm gushing a little bit, but I would love to see her play 90 minutes, three games in a row. But, you know, you, you got to rotate her out um, somewhat and not not reveal too many of her tricks too soon. Um, but I also think Christy Mewis is not someone who probably is expected to get the start. Certainly this time last year was not even on yeah. the U.S. Women's National Team radar, but she's looked incredible I mean she is she the leading scorer for the U.S. women's national team this year uh for for this year I I have no idea but probably because I feel like we have seen that like emergence as you said with her with with Houston and then with the national team I don't know how many she scored with the U.S. though of late yeah she I mean between her and Sam I think they oh Sam had that hat trick though but you know the MUI generally (laughs) the MUI Patented TM. They they um they have just been dominating for the US. They've been incredible. And you know, Blacko has a really good relationship with Christy. I don't think it's he said at one point it's not out of the question. She's 
she's not satisfied just being on the roster. She wants to start, um, which is awesome and so fun. And obviously she's, she's a fan favorite. So I think it would be cool to see more of her. Um, but then, you know, tried and true players, that back line with Abby Dahlkemper, Captain Becky, obviously, um, Kelly O'Hara, and is Sonnet. Yeah. The, is it Sonnet? Uh, in terms of on the roster? In terms of, here, I'm looking at the I details. mean, because you have Emily Sonnet, you still have Crystal oh, Dunn, Crystal. who could go there. Yeah. Well, I want Crystal up top. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So if you were, yeah, would you try to get Crystal Dunn in there in the attack? You know, against Argentina, I, I could see it. Oh. I think I poor I Argentina. Think, poor Argentina. No, listen, it's a it's a good opportunity to get yourself in front of some of the most competitive teams in the world. But yeah, I don't mean to bully Argentina because that's not fair. But I definitely think that if I'm being honest, Flacco will use that game like the Colombia second game mm-hmm. to be a little more experimental because I think Canada and Brazil. Well, Canada is pretty depleted, but I think both of those teams are are poised to give the the U.S. a a, a bigger fight. All right, I'm excited to talk Canada, Brazil. I have a few more U.S. questions because I did want to talk about the attack. But first off, is it is it fair to say that we should expect something approximating a four three three with with what Vlatko is going to bring out, or do you think there will be some variation in there? No, nah, I think. I think that much he's he's okay. Yeah, that's sort of his bread and butter. All right. So then, if we have that front three line, who do you think will be the central attacker there? Because it's been Lynn Williams with a great amount of uh, effect and success, but then we obviously have Alex Morgan in the conversation. We have Carly Lloyd. Do you think we'll get some variation in who plays where in that attack? Yeah, I think there's going to be. Uh... I don't know exactly what the rules are for the She Believes Cup, but I'm sure there will be a decent amount of rotation in there. I mean, you know, you haven't seen Alex for a while. Carly had had a, a long hiatus as well. You want to see what they're up to. You want to see what form they're in and how they're meshing with some of the newer players. But like you said, Lynn's been remarkable. I think Vlatko has spoken very highly about her play. Um and she's she's proven herself as meshing well with with these rosters that or these uh yeah these these uh formations that that Flacco has pulled out. So I think you're going to have a rotation there for sure in the middle and honestly you might have you might have Crystal up there at some point. Well, I guess yeah. And you might have uh might have Katarina pushed up. So I think there's I think there's going to be a variety, and he has three games to to mix it up with, so it'll be fun to watch. So goals is what I'm hearing. Ah, uh, that's that's the, but I'm goal. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Uh, never inviting me back. On <laughs> Trust yeah. me, there have been many many worse jokes this week alone. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, that that's that's like that's like a B for uh for where we've been going this week with the number of puns that have been uh occurring of late. Uh I do want to talk uh the US's opposition. Final question about Vlatko. So I still have not read 
I'll ask the question, then I'll explain where I'm coming from. I'm wondering like, how he is perceived, what he has done for team morale, for team chemistry, just what the differences are between his U.S. women's national team and Jill Ellis's women's national team. I have not yet read Megan Rapinoe's book. Uh, I have seen the excerpts that were not particularly flattering or not particularly complimentary of her relationship with Jill Ellis. And I'm wondering how much that has changed for her, how much that has changed for the team under Vladko. Yeah, I think... I'll address Vlatko himself first and then relative Jill. But Vlatko, I think, is seen as as the player's coach. Like, everyone wanted him when when there was a vacancy there. I think he was well-liked and respected in the NWSL. Um, And I think since he's come in, players have felt like they have a lot more freedom, a lot more um, ability to express their own preferences and interests I mean I highly doubt that that Crystal Dunn is nudging Jill Ellis to to put her up top yeah um at least in a jokingly fashion the way that she has been with Blacko um and obviously we didn't see her get up top with Jill Ellis um at least not in my working memory but um yeah yeah but yeah, that, that seems to be a better talking point yeah yeah um but I think not not that uh we have any indication that Crystal will consistently play up top. We just saw her one time with Lacko, but I think it's telling that he threw Midge up top too, and he, he's been more experimental, and he's been – it seems like he's receptive to what the players are looking for and what they think is best. And, you know, he, are, he obviously, like any coach, has his set agenda and has his ideas, and, you know, winning comes first. Obviously, that's the U.S. Women's National Team's whole thing. But um, I definitely think he's he's flexible and he puts the players' preferences mm-hmm. more more central to to the formation of the team, if that makes sense. Whereas Jill, I think, was much more regimented, set in her ways, and it's not much of a secret that a number of the the teams top players were not fond of her in a leadership position um, and struggled with her when she was the head coach. Now, obviously she's, she has a very impressive record. So like I said before with Man City, it's hard to argue with her decision-making, but you know, Megan Rapinoe, I did read her book and she came out and she lit a fire on Jill Ellis's handling of, her kneeling of her playing style and and how she was going to fit into, I believe it was the Olympics roster. And there was, there was an anecdote before one of the first games of a major tournament, Jill called Megan in and basically into like a hotel room or a conference center, something like that. And basically tore apart her game and was like, sort of expressing her own insecurity. This is all according to Megan in the book, of mm-hmm. course, um, which I would recommend reading for yourself. But this is this is my... Uh, yeah, you're setting the stage here. I might have to, I might have to do some purchasing later. It was good. And it's a, it's a quick, fun read. So I, I would recommend it. But um, yeah, she, she basically said, like, Jill projected her own insecurity about Megan's game to Megan's face the night before a match. And Megan was like, that's just sort of coaching 101. Like, you got to you gotta 
prop your players up in that position at that time. And she, she sort of got in her own head because of what Jill was saying. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of what, what Vlaco says to his, to his players the night before a match, but I do get the impression that he, he likes to celebrate his players' successes and I'm sure he's hard on them, but I think he's someone who amps his players up rather than, you know, giving yeah. tough love to that level. <laughs> giving a, a list of here's what you do wrong right before a game. Yeah, that probably doesn't necessarily instill a ton of confidence. Uh, no. So it just feel like we've got a slightly more confident team, even with uh, some of the absences that we've already talked about. But the the massive amount of depth, I think, will, will will be okay for the U.S. For their opposition, I wanted to talk about some names that won't be there, either starting with Canada. Basically, every pe- preview I read started with, like, obviously, Christine Sinclair is going to be there, except that she was not included in Beth Priestman's final roster. Since she was on the training roster, I read she picked up an injury. Um, right. Who else, or, like, is that all correct, first of all? Second of all, who else uh, will Canada be without? Yeah, my my understanding is that, that Christine Sinclair picked up an inju- injury. Okay. Um, other players who were injured are – I'm looking at a list right now mm-hmm. because it's too many to keep off the top of my head. It feels that and, way. They're not, they're not having the best time, Canada. No, no. I mean, better, better now than in a few months, but at least as of right sure. now, better now than in a few months. But, yeah, you hate to see it at all. Um, Diana Matheson, who plays in the midfield – Aaron McLeod, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and Bianca St. George's. Mm-hmm. They all are injured. And then Canada is having sort of what I would call the Alana Cook problem yeah. where PSG is keeping players back. So that's Buchanan, Heidema, and Ashley Lawrence who are not available because French clubs are holding them back. Um, so that's, that's a lot of names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then who do you think steps up for Canada? Um, and and maybe like with the idea of like, how does Priestman want this team to play? Like, do we have an idea of her attacking sensibilities? Is she more defensive? Is she more high pressing? Uh, what do we know of her? Or how do we think Canada will approach this? And who do we think might stand out for Canada in this competition, given some of those absences? Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure what Priestman's same plan is here. I can tell you that I'm I'm confident it is not the same as it would be had she yeah. a full a full roster. Um, but I think in terms of players who will step up, I'm looking at the players who will be there, which is not as big a list. But no, it's really um, not. And yeah. there's even like some some. Uh, I always go with with Wikipedia when you have like red lines or red red like no links. That's always an interesting one, right. though. I think. Jade Rose is like the young player of the year for Canada. Does not have a Wikipedia page. Get on that, Canada. We got to solve that one. Yeah. Player of the year. I feel like give her, give her the Wikipedia. Right. You at least need it so that you can then say you were the young player of the year. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I leave it to Canada. Hopefully they figure that one out in time for the She Believes Cup. So maybe it will be Jade Rose, who uh, is only 18. Uh, that would be maybe a lot of pressure on her. But who else do you think are some names that could help Canada? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking now. The back line has, has definitely a handful of players who are tried and true. Quinn, um, Lindsay Agnew, Jelena Zadorsky. You know, those are names I recognize. They, they've, got a, they've got a back line that, will, that at least has experience at the international level. 
They're, we're not we're not talking about like dire straits. They're just missing a lot of their their big names. Um, now I'm looking at the midfield. Sophie Schmidt obviously stands out. Jesse Fleming, Desiree Scott, and then in the at in the attack, Nichelle Prince and and Janine mm-hmm. Becky obviously is tried and true. So they've got a semblance of what I think they'd have a, a, as a starting roster. Obviously, you're filling it out with with certain names that aren't as recognizable, especially to someone like me who is U.S. focused. But, um, you know, they're, they're still a solid squad and they, they are not a team that necessarily relies on, on one star. Obviously, Sinclair is their big name, but I think they'll be able to hold their own at least. I don't, I don't foresee a blowout, but maybe, maybe I'm in the minority in that opinion. Who do you think will cause the U.S. more difficulty? Because it stands to reason, given, them, given everything we've talked about, that the U.S. are the favorites. Uh, but do you think it's Canada more likely to cause problems or Brazil? Brazil will be without uh, Formiga and Luana, again, not released by their French clubs. But they do have uh, a decent amount of strength. And obviously, Marta always makes things interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I would vote Brazil on this one um, just because I think you have more variables with Canada for this tournament. I think at full strength, Canada is obviously our tribal top of the list, but uh, yeah, this time, you know, you've got most of Brazil's core there, whereas Canada is, it it looks noticeably different. So I would vote Brazil. And then do you, do you have much idea how the Brazilian and Argentine leagues are doing? Cause we do have a lot of domestic players. I think there's, 11 players from Brazil on Brazil's roster, 11 players from Argentina on Argentina's roster, plus one player from Brazil on Argentina's roster. But I don't really know all that much about how those leagues are going. Argentina are probably the the least experienced or are definitely the least experienced team here. So I'm assuming their league isn't maybe quite on the level of Brazil's, but I am happy to be wrong about that one. Yeah, I I am on the same page with you, whereas I'm not where I'm. I'm not well-versed in the Argentine or or Brazilian leagues, but I will say that I recognize, I think, A, as long as my sources are up to date, I believe Canada and Brazil are both ranked number 11 in the world right now. Argentina is, and these are the national teams, um, Argentina is 31st. So I think it stands to reason that you have more star power on those first teams than on the latter. Um, I recognize a lot of the the players' names on the Brazilian team just from covering the NWSL closely. Obviously, Dabinha, Marta, those are those are stars in the U.S. Um, but in terms of of how those players are doing in their in their uh, their That's, domestic yeah. leagues, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I know that Argentina is is picking locally um i think one player just recently signed with um louisville in the nwsl but i i could be mistaken on that i should be fact-checked we got a live fact-checker here (laughs) yeah i think for brazil they've got the domestic squad like based 
contingent. Then they've got a lot of players, it seems like, uh, playing in Spain. But of the ones you mentioned, Marta and Dabinia, those two feel like they should be the most feared for the U.S. Who do you think, at this point with Marta, I, I always think Marta is, like, considerably older than she is. I think she's only 34, which yeah. still blows my mind. Who do you think, is she still the most, like, far and away, the most important player for Brazil? Is it Dabinia? Uh, maybe Christiane, I feel like, was was pretty good for, for Brazil last I watched, or it could it be somebody else? Are there other nominees in there for potential rivals for that top spot for Brazil? Yeah, I, I like to say that I am adventurous and I love a hot take, but I will not pick against <laughs> I will not pick against Marta. Um, I am partial to Dubinia. I think she's incredible and watching her with the courage like I've seen her in person and she the way that she affects that team, which was obviously a front runner in the NWSL for such a long time, is I can't really overstate it. Um, but yeah, Mar- Marta is hmm. probably the most important player on any team you put her on, except for a handful of front runners. You know, she's, she is that remarkable. And, and to your point, I think the fact that she's only 34, but we're like, ah, oh, she's got to be like 50 yeah. now. <laughs> it's because she's, she's done nothing but achieve forever. Like all she's been doing is being in front of us and kicking ass and taking names. I'm not allowed to say that, but that's the truth. So it is why we think she's old. Yeah. All right. So we, we've got like a, a pretty solid Brazil squad. I am excited. I don't know much about Ivana Fuso other than that she plays for Man United. I'm a Man United fan. So uh, I'm happy for her to, to do big things potentially for Brazil. She is uh, only 19. Maybe she has a lot to like to stake her claim on. Maybe she ends up making that Brazil Olympic team. Going back to the U.S., though, for their Olympic squad, that roster is uh, significantly smaller. I can't remember if it's only 21 or 18, but either way, it's a smaller roster for folks 18. who... There we go. Who could maybe like cement their place on that roster, or, or if not cement for the U.S., who could maybe do the most to raise their standing to be in that conversation that maybe wasn't in that conversation a few months ago when it comes to making the U.S. Olympic roster? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think if Katarina Macario shows what she did in, in her last two games with the national team, I think Blacko is going to be pretty hard-pressed to not take her along, um, which creates a load of problems for him, right? Because you have some tried-and-true players who are then necessarily on the chopping block because of what I said before in terms of embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. But um, aside from her, I, you know, I can't stop raving about her. But I think, I think we sort of mentioned this before, but Christy Mewis was not on the radar and now is looking to be one of the most lethal attackers on the U.S. women's national team, sort of out of nowhere. Um, so again, adds to the embarrassment of Rich's problem. Um, I think we've seen more of Midge Purse than I expected to see. And so that sort of, at least um, in the Columbia Games, so that sort of tells me that Vlatko is higher on bringing her into the mix than than maybe I had suspected earlier on. So I think she's she's definitely someone who will see how she competes here and and whether or not she finds her way onto the roster. You know, as I said before, that back line, you have no reason to really mix it up. They are 
they are formidable to say the least. So I, I think it's, that's probably the toughest spot on the roster to break through. Um, but there's a shot, I guess. And then, uh, who else was I going to say? I'm looking at the roster now. I wanted to I, ask, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. And then I'll ask my, my last question. I was just going to say Sophia Smith. I think, I think you have, you already had so many players on the attacking third competing for spots and Vlaco is high on her for sure. And she has done nothing but, but further her case to be on the roster. I'm not sure that she ultimately makes it, but I think she's someone who definitely can help make a case and is in the mix for it. And then I would like to phrase this in a way that isn't negative because I don't mean for it to be, but what has to happen for Alyssa Nair not to just be the number one starting goalkeeper? Because we have many other options, Ashlyn Harris being probably the most notable, though she is not in this squad. I think that's maybe because Vlatko said he knows he knows what he's getting from her. He knows what he's getting from Ali Krieger. I think those were two that he sort of left off because they're known quantities. Uh, but goalkeeper seems like he kind of just sticks with Alyssa Nair. We have Jane Campbell in the squad. We have Casey Murphy. But is there what would it take for somebody else to really challenge or overtake her? Yeah, well, um, speaking of Ashlyn and Allie, I, I think initially that, that definitely is the reason that Blacko gave for not putting them on this roster. And I think people were up in arms like, oh, no, like these are these are fan favorites. Where are they? Um, they just adopted a baby. There's so that. I, that yeah, yep. I think that also may have been part of the reason why they. Uh, oh, that's a good call right now. <laughs> yeah, I forget that, like, having my wife had a baby in December, and yeah, I wouldn't really want to have both of us go off for, like, a month at a time, especially in, in the pandemic, but especially with a new baby. I forget how much stuff like that matters, and we shouldn't, because it's very important, but you're totally right. Thank you for pointing that one out. I wonder, and I don't I don't want to speculate here, but I, you know, that baby is still going to be young come Olympics time, so mm-hmm. I wonder what that means for or them and their spots on the roster, assuming the Olympics go ahead. Lots of questions. Lots of question marks here. Wow. All yeah. right. But, it's, but, but until, uh, <laughs> until the, the baby is in, in, uh, in school, uh, is it Alyssa Nyer's job to keep? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I think that was the case whether or not there was a baby in the mix. Um, she, she's, you know, part of the issue is she's not, and listen, issue is a, is a, loaded term here for what I'm about to say, but she, she is not typically tested. I mean, if she sees the ball in her hands once or twice a game in a friendly, that's a lot. Um, yeah. So I think, I think it's hard to say outside of what happens on the training grounds for the U S women's national team, you know, what the, the goalkeeper standings are and, and who's really testing her, but you know, she's gotten the start, Every single time, right? Even that second Columbia game, I believe she started. Um, maybe I'm wrong, actually. Well, that no, but that's even even if you are still a very interesting point because that was I feel like a criticism of Jill Ellis is that she didn't really experiment. We didn't have a good idea of the depth chart when it comes to goalkeeper. But I think you're right that a lot of that is based on it was always a listener starting every single game. But if if it is truly going to be the competition is in training, then it almost tells us, yeah, like it was in training, everybody competed, and she is the starter, and we know she's going to catch maybe one or two balls and take a lot of goal kicks when the ball rolls out of bounds. So that's a really good point. So I guess we just have to find a way to get in on training and figure out what's happening there when it comes to goalkeepers. Right. I will say, and this is 
this is sort of my own interpretation and not, not rooted in anything uh, concrete, I would say, but I get the vibe that Jane Campbell is, is rising stock. I can see her sort of stepping into that number two role. I don't foresee Nair like relinquishing that spot anytime soon, but I definitely think Jane is stepping up um, just by nature of what has been said in, in press conferences by both Alyssa and, and Vlaco. Um, kind of get the vibe that she's, she's next up. All right, so we could have our next goalkeeper. We expect it to be Alyssa, though, in the post for the first game. Again, that's Thursday night. Did I say in the posts? Between the posts. Uh, Thursday night against Canada. Uh, Meredith, what is your schedule going to look like? How, how is your coverage going to be? Oh, man. Uh, I will be live tweeting. I'm at Maricash22 on Twitter if you want to follow along with me. Um, most of my coverage is, you know, basically peels from the game, anything interesting that we're talking about on Twitter that, you know, Christy Mewis scores an awesome goal or like, here's this thing you didn't notice. That's, that's sort of my bread and butter. Um, and I will be in on the post game press conference as well. And trying to give live or all of the post game press conferences. I forget that we have three now, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I will be live tweeting as much as I can. So I will I will get responses and, and feedback straight from the source as soon as I can. That's the uh, that's the game plan here. That's the game plan. All right. Well, Meredith, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about the uh, the She Believes Cup. Uh, I will let you get back to covering tennis and the WNBA and women's soccer as well. And I'm sure many, many other things. But folks, follow Meredith and Meredith again. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great to be here. Listeners, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon. Bye.